I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes Jesus can be a real disappointment. There now, I've said it. I've said the quiet part out loud. Sometimes Jesus can be a real disappointment. The Gospels are chock full of stories of him not doing what others desperately want him to do. Some of these others are people who are very close to Jesus, people like his own mother. Remember that incident at the wedding at Cana? Mary says to her boy, hey buddy, there's no wine left. Do your old mom a favor and make things right so this nice family who've lived next door to us since you were a toddler won't feel embarrassed. To which Jesus replies, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Hmm. Okay, first of all, who addresses their mother as woman? especially when that mother gave birth to you in a stable or a cave or whatever it was in the days before there were epidurals. In my house, that would get you, but I digress. Suffice it to say, Jesus doesn't mind saying no to his nearest and dearest. He certainly doesn't mind saying no to perfect strangers. Take this morning's gospel lesson. When someone in the crowd approaches Jesus to ask if he will, quote, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, to us, this may seem strange. Asking an itinerant religious teacher to help settle an estate? I mean, please don't ever approach me with anything like that. Maybe George, since he used to be an attorney, but even that might be pushing it. Here's the thing though, here's the thing. Rabbis in Jesus's day actually did get involved in these sorts of matters. They did so all the time. So the guy in this morning's gospel reading isn't necessarily asking for anything extraordinary. And yet Jesus refuses him. Jesus refuses him And then he tells a story. It's a story about this wealthy farmer who has an incredible harvest, so big that he can't fit all his grain into his existing barns. So he decides he'll build larger barns, thinking that now he will be set for life. Only problem? He is going to die soon, incredibly soon. You fool, God tells him, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus underscores this odd little parable with an admonition. Take care. Take care, he says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not depend on the abundance of possessions. Well, what is Jesus up to here? 
Why does he offer this rather harrowing and dramatic story in response to a man who, it seems, not, may not be asking for anything terribly unreasonable? What is Jesus up to here? I think at least one answer lies in the phrase, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You see, this is one of Jesus' great concerns. Life, life. One of Jesus' primary identities throughout the New Testament is as life giver, as the one who brings life, the one who brings life even out of death. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Again and again, this is Jesus' great work. He brings to life people and situations who have long since been given up for dead. Lepers, tax collectors, a little girl with no pulse, a beloved friend whose body has already begun to stink. Part of this work of bringing the dead to life Part of this work involves Jesus trying to convince those who don't appear to be dead at all. Part of this work of of bringing the dead to life involves Jesus trying to convince those who don't appear to be dead at all, those, in fact, who, by conventional wisdom, seem to be thriving. Part of this work involves Jesus trying to convince those who don't appear to be dead at all that there is more to life than things such as, say, laying claim to your inheritance or doing what is expected of you by society or being righteous in the eyes of others. Besides the life that the surrounding culture lifts up, the life of success and fame and fortune, of longevity and rectitude and certitude. Beyond this life that the surrounding culture lifts up, there is also what the author of the first letter to Timothy calls the life that is really life. The life that is really life or in the words of this morning's gospel, the life that is rich toward God. This is the life, this is the life that embodies that strange, topsy-turvy, upside-down world of the kingdom of God, a world in which the poor, the mournful, and the persecuted are called blessed, a world in which the first are last and the last are first, a world in which the unloved are cherished and the downcast lifted up. This is what, in Jesus' economy, constitutes the good life. Well, this is challenging stuff, 
At least it is for me. My guess is most of us here today could reach a fairly quick consensus on what constitutes the good life, according to our notions and those of our culture. And it wouldn't include poverty, persecution, or coming in last. For many of us, living well might indeed include, uh, involve having a certain amount of money. For others, it might be getting our children or grandchildren successfully through school and seeing them grow up and be happy. It might be living until we're a ripe old age, then dying in our sleep after a lovely evening with friends. It might mean gaining recognition and respect at work or at least being well-liked by our peers. It might mean any number of these things I've just listed and many more. It might mean any number of things to which this morning's gospel reading from Luke basically says, no, no. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with any of these things. It's just that they are not according to Jesus. They are not what determines whether or not a person is really alive. The strange testimony of the gospel, in fact, is that you can be completely lacking in all these things like fame, fortune, success, certitude, confidence about the future, you can be completely lacking in all of these things. Your life can be completely falling apart, even to the point of death. And you can still live. You can live big time. You can live a life that no amount of money, success, popularity, esteem, health, or certitude could ever give you. Isn't this bizarre? It's weird. I have to admit that I'd be inclined not to believe it if I hadn't seen it for myself, if I hadn't occasionally experienced it for myself, if I hadn't heard about it in the great stories of the saints. Saints like Martin Luther King Jr., who on the night before his assassination said, quote, like anyone, I'd like to have a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and so I'm happy tonight. I'm happy. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Kate Bowler was a 35-year-old professor at Duke Divinity School and had just published an acclaimed book on the history of the American prosperity gospel titled Blessed when she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. In the books and podcasts she has produced since then, Bowler speaks about having come to terms with the reality that quite contrary to the teachings of the sort of religion she has devoted her whole professional life to studying, things do not always 
work out. In fact, things sometimes go spectacularly wrong and stay that way. Sometimes, Buller says, things go so wrong that you are left wondering whether you will get to see your toddler son grow up or even finish kindergarten. Against this backdrop, though, against this backdrop of fear and grief and uncertainty and pain, against this backdrop, Bowler says she has nonetheless found it possible to access previously untapped sources of joy, comfort, and peace. In the midst of her pain and struggle, she has experienced that, quote, God is here anyway. God is here anyway, and this is enough. God is here anyway, and this is enough. Friends, this sort of living, this upside-down, topsy-turvy, conventional wisdom-busting life that is rich toward God, though poor and even crazy in the eyes of the world. This life, this life is available to you and to me today. It's available today. Not tomorrow after we see the doctor and learn that our lab work has checked out all right. Not in a year after we've gotten our last child through college and can finally retire or buy that beach house. Not depending on whether we have come to church this morning feeling joyful or depressed, having just received a raise at work or a pink slip, having made the team or having been cut from it. Not depending on whether we get our fair share of the inheritance not depending on whether we won the Powerball on Friday night. I'm assuming, by the way, that none of us here did. Uh, If I'm wrong, please see David Rocchio immediately following this service to adjust your pledge. Jesus' life more abundant. Jesus' life more abundant. The life that is really life. This life is available to each one of us this very morning, whatever our circumstances, right here, right now, at this table at which we will soon feast, and also right here, right now, and out there in the world for which Jesus died. Just as our life may be demanded of us this day, so it may be given to us as well. Amen.